Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter. How are you today, Todd? Hey, Ben. I'm great. It's always a little overwhelming to be with you, but with our guest today, who I know you'll introduce yeah, in a moment, this is kind of overwhelming to yeah, have yeah, all this talent on one podcast. <laughs> Very good. Uh, we are still in the season of Eastertide, um, which lasts 50 days. I'll just remind everybody, PSA, Easter's 50 days. Keep celebrating. Uh, a couple announcements before we dive into our interview with our guests. Um, that I'll introduce here in a moment. Um, if you are a youth pastor or a leader involved in next-gen ministry this Eastertide, you're invited to attend a four-part conversation called Next-Gen Fall Planning Guide Strategies for Values-Based Ministry, which is hosted by C4SO's Next-Gen Leadership Team. It's going to begin Monday, April 12th, which is the day that this podcast will uh, drop. So if you're listening to this in the morning, uh, you still have time to register uh, for the first meeting, which is going to happen at 10 a.m. Central Time uh, on Monday, April 12th. And these conversations are going to center around C4SO's diocesan values and practical ministry planning for the fall. A C4SO leader will join each conversation to share his or her insight and perspective on one of our diocesan values. And each meeting will conclude with the Next Gen Leadership Team guiding participants into applicable action in their context. You can find the registration link in this episode's show notes. Uh, <clears throat> those are our announcements. As mentioned before, we have some guests on the podcast today. Um, we're joined today by JR and Amy Rosco. Um, JR is uh, ordained as a priest in C4SO. Amy is in the ordination process, somewhere Woo-hoo! between postulant and candidate, maybe. So we're, we're, not, we're not sure. She's sort of occupying a space between, apparently. <laughs> she has a meeting right after this uh, to basically kind of figure out where she's at in, in this ordination process. But anyway, um, <clears throat> they are serving in a unique way uh, that we wanted to highlight uh, and explore a bit today on the podcast because it's a bit outside the norm. Um, and uh, Bishop Todd, you jokingly said before we started recording <laughs> that this is just another way that C4SO is just a little bit weird, yeah. um, but I think in a good way. So we want to talk a little bit about that. I'm so proud of the Roscoe's keeping our uh, our rep intact. Yeah, yeah, very whatever good. we can do. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, Jr. and Amy, welcome to the C4SO podcast. It's great to have you guys. Thanks, Ben. Great to be with you and Bishop Todd. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for having us. Um, Jr. and Amy, you co-lead. You're you're called co-lead pastors of First Church of the Resurrection, which is a 210 year old non Anglican church in Canton, Ohio. Um, and you're raising your three kids there as well, Aubrey, Junia, and Aiden. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's all I'm going to say in terms of an introduction. I wonder if you guys could fill out that introduction. What else do people need to know about you? The, the weird thing, right, is that you are functioning within C4SO, but you're serving at a non-C4SO church. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit and what that means um, and why, why we do things like that. But um, maybe just fill out that introduction um, a little bit more. Just what else do people need to know about you to get a feel for who you are and what you're up to? Yeah. You want to go first? Well, if, if only that was the only weird thing, Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned our three kids. They, uh, they hate to be left out when uh, we talk about uh-huh. what we do and uh, who we are. And we 
Um, so they are currently, uh, the youngest Aiden is four and uh, Junia is seven and Aubrey is nine, about to be 10. And yeah, we all live here in Canton, Ohio. I have for the past uh, four, four to five years, I guess, coming up on five years and have been pastoring here since September of 2019. Mm-hmm. This is our first time uh, pastoring together and lead pastoring anywhere. So this mm. has been a grand uh, experiment for us, <laughs> uh, pastoring the oldest church in Stark County, um, wow. 210 years old, the oldest yeah. church in our county, um, currently a non-denominational church, and uh, it was a kind of a God story how we got there. But yeah, previous to this, um, we've lived in various states and countries. Uh, I served in leadership roles in higher education, spiritual formation, and also um, in kind of cross-cultural ministry uh, mm. entities before coming to pastoral ministry and then now pursuing um, this call to priestly ministry. So that's a little bit about where I'm coming from and where we're okay. coming from. Yeah. This is uh, home for me, Northeast Ohio. I grew up in a town called Stowe that's just 30 minutes north of where we are now and went to Malone University, which is in Canton, where we are. Um, was in student ministry for a few years uh, after graduation here and then left to go to grad school at Fuller out in Southern California, which is where Amy and I met and I think developed eyes for one another, uh, but we did not <laughs> get together. We weren't together at that point. And then uh, I moved on, was pastoring on staff at a church in Memphis, and then Amy moved on and took a job in international missions, mobilization, and training, and she was based in the Chicagoland area. And then we reconnected, dated long distance between Chicago and Memphis, got engaged and then married in 2009 and made Chicagoland our home, which is where, so we got married in that area and then had our first two children there when we were part of an amazing church um, called Life on the Vine. I should have mentioned, I was actually baptized as an Episcopalian, as a baby. That was my, the tradition of my father and my grandfather uh, however, had almost no like ongoing touch with life in that church uh, in my growing up years. But that was the heritage. And so for me to then find my way yeah. back into Anglicanism is kind of an interesting, you know, part of my yeah. own part of my yeah. own story. Full circle. Yeah. And, and yeah. My, my family comes from a Wesleyan Methodist tradition, so okay. I feel like I'm coming back Cousins, to yeah. some roots there as well, coming into the Anglican family. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, Amy, you mentioned that this was kind of a God story, how you got connected with this church. I wonder if you can tell a little bit of that story. You know, the, the thing is you, you know, JR, you're ordained, Amy, you're in the ordination process, which is, you know, linked to C4SO and Bishop Todd. Um, but you're serving in this non-Anglican congregation. Um, talk a bit about how that came about. What did that process of discernment look like? Um, why, why does that seem like a God story to you? Yeah, I would say from uh, even... I guess maybe when we were engaged uh, and, and thinking about being married, we had talked about um, ideally dreaming of doing ministry together in a collaborative way at some point in time. Um, we were, like like Jared said, a little bit later, we'd been doing some ministry on our own uh, and had each done seminary degrees on our own and, and just loved the idea of bringing our, our diverse gifts together. And we didn't know what that would look like or when that might come about, but it was just something you know, what if someday uh, kind of conversations yeah. early in our relationship. Uh, and so that that was something that had 
been dormant for a while. Um, and I think, you know, for myself, uh, feeling a call to ministry, you know, probably end of high school, early college. Um, but being a woman in ministry, even in a denomination that supported that, there there's some questioning um, of knowing, is that really pastoral leadership or, you know, so I explored the gamut right. of other kinds of ministry roles um, before landing in a pastoral role. Hmm. Not that that's bad. Uh, I think that was a great journey for me to be on, but, you know, it wasn't maybe necessarily an obvious step uh, for me as I was feeling out that call. So uh, as we found ourselves in a place of transition, uh, living here in Canton, uh, happened to have some friends over. Um, we're hanging out one night, and they're like, hey, we're looking for somebody to pastor this church. <laughs> Do you know anyone? Or what about you guys? What are you guys, you know, <laughs> doing right now? Uh, and so that conversation just kind of opened a door to something that we're like, well, that would never work unless this or unless that or unless this. And then slowly uh, those those things all had yes uh, attached hmm. to them. So hmm. it's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. If you want to add to that, maybe. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, that's a really good rundown of sort of the God part of the story in terms of like our vision for co-pastoring and then lo and behold, this opportunity that we didn't seek out emerges right here in the place where we were living. Um, The other side of this would be that I felt like I had been orbiting the possibility of moving into Anglicanism for almost maybe 10 years. And a lot of that had actually had to do with our profound experience at Life on the Vine in Chicagoland, which though it's a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, borrowed really heavily from Anglican theology and spirituality and ecclesiology, right. and a number of people who have, uh, including your co-pastor Ben, right, who right. like yeah. were deeply uh, impacted at Life on the Vine, have gone on to become Anglicans. So it was six months after we relocated here to Canton from Chicago. Um, that we came across an Anglican order. This is something outside of the ACNA, but there was an invitation to become part of this order for a year to learn how to live by rule of life, to uh, be more intentional about praying the daily office. Um, And then for me, I used that year of 2017 as a time to discern whether or not I would sort of like move out of... um, I don't know, mainstream evangelicalism that I had kind of been in different spaces in my life Mm -hmm. and sort of ground myself in a tradition and say, this is where I really want to root myself and sort of like live out my days as part of a grounded historical tradition like Anglicanism. And so I got to the end of 2017, felt fully aware that that is indeed the way in which God was leading me. And then, I mean, I could take you to the spot where I was Mm. standing on my deck when I called Bishop Todd, who he and I had had a previous relationship and we had had some other conversation and then having known a number of people who had come in to see 4SO um, and and said to him, um, hey, I really feel like God's got this call on my life into Anglicanism that I want to be grounded there. Um, I want to come under the authority of a bishop. Um, But here's the deal. I don't know that right now God's giving me a vision or an imagination for pastoring or planting an Anglican church, (laughs) Uh, right? And so we had a good chuckle about that. And at that point, I was serving as national director for Missio Alliance, and that was going to be in terms of moving towards my ordination as a deacon, like Mm -hmm. the expression of my diaconal ministry 
right? Yeah. And then yeah. it's like the next piece of the puzzle where First Church of the Resurrection gets a hold of us, is interested in calling us as pastors um, and saying, like, they were open, even, like, uh, desirous of the yeah. idea of being pastored uh, by a couple folks who's, who had credentials and ordination uh, within the Anglican tradition. Hmm. Yeah, so maybe, Bishop Todd, you can fill out some of that, um, you know, uh, fr- from your perspective. Um, I- I've heard you talk about before that, um, you know, C4SO's mission uh, is not necessarily proprietary. Right. Uh, we have non-proprietary interest or, you know, yeah. that, that kind of language where we, we're willing to raise up and send out leaders who don't necessarily have a maybe a proprietary uh connection yeah. uh, to C4SO. So maybe just fill that out. What do, you, what do you mean by that? And how has this worked in other cases? You know, what, what made this compelling to you uh, to, you know? Yeah. Well, the language of proprietary, um, that came out a few years ago when we were trying to explain to our brothers and sisters in ACNA that we weren't trying to like own everything or control everything that, mm-hmm. um, but, but there's a, another set of language that undergirds that. So I would say, first of all, at my best personally, and C4SO at her best organizationally, um, functions from a set of values. So the first things that Jay, JR and I were exploring was uh, an idea he uh, has had, and I think continues to have, for something like a missionary society, some sort of order that would hold together things like formation and mission and the various values that the Roscoe's have. So again, at my best, I would say um, that Jesus said, the higher your rank, and I'm as high as you can get as bishop, uh, the more you should be a servant. So Mm -hmm. when I hear somebody like JR and now JR um, and Amy talking about their heart's desires, my first question is always, well, how do I come alongside that and, you know, do what I can with the authority, the power, the budget, the things that have been given to me? Um, how do I, you know, give that away for the sake of what God's doing in someone else? Hmm. So what's the value that undergirds that? That's my value on the supremacy of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And that the ruling and reigning of God is what creates the people of God. And the people of God now have divided themselves up into last I knew, like almost 50,000 <laughs> groups of right. people. Yeah, And I just don't think, you know, to me, a really super great, highly committed Anglican mm-hmm. means that Anglicanism is your second priority at best, that all of our first priorities should be um, what God is doing in the whole body of Christ, not just mm. our particularity. Now, yeah. I don't think it's wrong to be a Baptist or a Lutheran or an Anglican. I don't mean to say that. Yeah. I think that's all f- fine as far as it goes, but we just never want that to be our central identity. Yeah. So JR and I knew that his idea for an order was like, okay, like that's not normal. Like he said, it's not pastoring or planting. Mm-hmm. And now what they're doing um, in their church is not normal but it is godly, and it seems, as Amy said, to have been sort of sponsored by God. So, yeah, hmm. you know, it's a, it's a little bit out of the norm. But um, on the other hand, there seem to be good kingdom reasons for doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, 
I haven't looked too much into this, but I know that there is some writing um, theologically about Anglicanism's vocation to quote unquote disappear. Mm. Um, that essentially yeah. it's not it's not meant to be a thing that draws attention to itself, but yeah. it is you know uh, an expression of the church that's meant to ultimately. Uh, disappear. I might get in trouble uh, saying this because it's easily misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying we should stop being Anglicans. Um, no, anyway. I get the heart behind it, though. Yeah. Uh, Richard yeah. Chartres, the, who was arguably the most powerful uh, bishop of his generation, though he was mm. never Archbishop of Canterbury, he's Bishop of London, but arguably, you know, the most powerful of yeah. his day. Yeah. He was always really adamant to say, so this will get you off the hook, Ben. <laughs> There's no such <laughs> thing of, Thanks, as bishop. Anglicanism. Yeah. Anglicanism is simply basic Christianity in England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if Richard Chartres can get away with it, you probably can right, too. Right, right. Well, yeah, I think at its best, it is a cultural, a culturally uh, conditioned expression of the church, right? Yeah, so of it's course. the church in England, uh, so to speak. Um, which you know, obviously, there's lots of questions about how how it becomes a global communion. But I see some of that at work, uh, Jr. and Amy, and what you're doing is saying like we're sent as Anglicans into this context where to be faithful here, we don't necessarily need to establish something Anglican, but we can be on mission as Anglicans in a, in a unique space, um, both geographically and then just, you know, in terms of tradition. Um, that, that reminds me, Ben, um, sorry, uh, JR and Amy, you guys can jump in next, but that just reminds me, that's such a lovely way of putting it. So I picture myself on the phone with JR for the first two or three or four or five times. And so the word faithfulness to me runs in two directions. It, of course, runs, obviously, in the direction of I'm an Anglican bishop, but -hmm. it also runs in the direction of J.R. and Amy's heart, their soul, their mind, their will, Mm -hmm. where the spirit is alive in them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we get to pick which way faithfulness runs. I think it has to run both ways. It has to run both towards whatever group we're in and towards the kingdom and the spirit at work in a human person. Yeah, well, Jaron, Amy, I wonder if you could reflect with us a little bit on this, you know, um, theologically, missiologically, like how do you make sense of this arrangement? Like, are there historical models for this? Um, how do you think about y- your situatedness, you know, as Anglican Anglican ministers sort of ministering in, in a context that isn't specifically Anglican? Yeah, with there, I'm remembering back to something that Bishop Todd said at... Um, our last in-person clergy conference, where he said that Anglicanism at its best is not self-referential, right? That Anglicanism exists as an expression of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, Yeah, right? And therefore, it really has a theological and missiological mandate to invite and form others into that tradition, Mm. right? So that rightly understood, faithfully understood, fully understood, the point of Anglicanism isn't about the territorial expansion of Anglicanism. Right. Right? That there ought to, we ought to understand it from Mm. a missionary perspective that Anglicanism is saying there's one holy Catholic and apostolic church, Mm -hmm. um, and we want to see that uh, expanded, right? The whole body of Christ. And so... I would say for me, like what happened is I encountered people and contexts as this sort of mainstream evangelical who put the tremendous resources of the great tradition of the church as it's been kind of stewarded 
by Anglicans who put those things like on a low shelf for me, <laughs> met me where I'm at, exposed me to them right where I was at and helped me to see there's so much more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a member of the body of Christ, than most of my evangelical heritage would have ever exposed me to. Hmm. And so I see our what we're seeking to live out as an expression and an extension of that, is hmm. how do we take those gifts and resources of the great tradition of the church as held in Anglicanism and expose them take them, carry them to people who likewise would never otherwise encounter them. Yeah. Um, so that's just, I don't know, a little bit on how I sort of make theological and missiological yeah. sense yeah. of my own priesthood. Yeah. Lovely. Um, maybe let's shift in and talk a little bit more practically about how this works. You know, I know I, you know, I'm, I'm an Anglican priest, but my church is Anglican as well. We planted within C4SO. And so our vestry, for example, knows, and our congregation knows that we have a bishop. And so he's the ultimate authority. And so if, you know, if I get out of line and, uh, I won't, I won't be, um, I won't, you know, I won't listen uh, to people. They know that there is this authority that they can appeal to, you know, in Bishop Todd, um, but how does it work? Uh, how does it work for you guys? I just, I guess just practically, like officially your church isn't an Anglican church, but is there a relationship with Bishop Todd? Is there a sense of, um, I don't know. I'm just wondering how it, how it works out practically for you guys. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's still a bit of an experiment, right? We're a year <laughs> and a half in, and I would say, um, personally, we would say we are first and foremost under the authority of Bishop Todd our primary relationship to him, myself as an Anglican priest, and Amy mm -hmm. on her journey towards being an Anglican priest, that mm -hmm. he is our first and primary point of reference for our understanding of our vocational calling as priests. Yeah. Now, he has commissioned us um, a lot, I don't know what the, if there's a better word, right, um, to serve as pastors of this congregation to whom we're also accountable Right? We right. have elders right. and a congregation mm -hmm. and, and all that sort of thing. So while there does not currently exist any formal relationship between our church and C4SO or our local leaders and Bishop Todd, um, we are just sort of stewarding uh, that relationship personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think because the, the church is non-denominational and there is, is nothing else that would fill in that bishop kind of oversight or support, right. uh, you know, so our local um, governance, it, so it looks very similar. It's just that there's not a built-in relationship yeah. um, between those yeah. two places. And, yeah. and that's something we're hoping to organically, um, you know, grow yeah. if, if it makes sense, as it makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, maybe uh, one thing to talk about, you mentioned this uh, earlier, Amy, um, that you guys had this vision to, to co-lead uh, something together. Um, and I did, I did read that this is the first time in this church's 210 year history that, um, that they've not had a singular senior leader, that there have been two, two people. And obviously the first time a married couple, uh, is doing that role. And so, um, I'm just wondering how that is going, um, for you guys. I wonder how it, how it works and how it's being received, um, in, at the local level. 
Yeah, I think uh, we've found like a real openness. Uh, like I said, you know, when we were even discerning this, there were so many things we were like, well, this is an idea of how we might want to do this or, hey, we're, you know, we're married. And we're going to share these things. And mm-hmm. um, we just kept hearing an openness to that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's worked really well. I think um, a great thing about us is we have a, a similar idea of where we're going or where we want to see the church go or, you know, an idea of the kingdom that, that looks very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, But our gifts are very different. Uh, Our temperaments are different. And so um, having worked that out over, you know, several years of marriage, um, realizing, hey, we have different strengths in different areas. We see things from different perspectives and can bring that to light. Um, uh, And so, yeah, practically speaking, you know, we, we preach every other week uh, for the most part, Uh, other tasks, are just distributed based on temperament or gifting or availability. Uh, and we're just kind of working, working that stuff out. Great. Anything to add to that, Jar? Yeah, I'll, I'll say quite honestly, I'm a little surprised about how well it's gone. Like over <laughs> both, both, I would say for us as a married couple, like trying uh-huh. to flesh that out that yeah. we, I don't know if we said this, we share a full-time role. So it's not like we're both full-time at the church and this okay. is all we do. We, we are both essentially part-time at the church, sharing a full-time role, trying to parent three mm-hmm. kids, you know, this year through a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Um, and then trying to lead a congregation. And yeah. um, I'm happy to say like a lot of congregations, you know, would have a hard time embracing uh, a woman as a senior leader. Um, our congregation has like taken to that really well. They don't, we haven't had to put up with a lot of like, well, we know she's she's here, but we really kind of defer to JR. That actually right. hasn't right. happened. Right. Um, we share responsibilities uh, for, you know, connecting with folks throughout the week. Um, yeah. And then we've managed to find really good ways to sort of like create uh, boundaries uh, where we need to and, you know, talk to us in another year and maybe it will sound a (laughs) difference. But like up until this point, um, we're just really pleased to see the way that God's been at work in this. That's great. How long have you been at it again? When did you start? Yeah, it's just over a year and a half. We started okay. September of 2019. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we've we pastored time. a lot more during a, the pandemic, right, yeah. than we have yeah. prior to that. Yeah. We, had, we had a very short, you know, window, and then so many other things changed uh, oh, for yeah. our congregation. Wow. Yeah. Um, they've just been amazing at navigating all of that. This, well, this probably seems to pale in comparison to all the other unprecedented things, right, that have happened. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, brilliant. Um, I wonder, uh, besides cultivating, you know, the life of that church, um, are there other initiatives that you guys uh, have engaged uh, in, just in terms of like uh, to foment mission in Canton, you know, that kind of thing? Just give us a window into how you guys are uh, trying to be boots on the ground, um, kind of missional in Canton. Yeah, I'll start and say, you know, we we step into um, this context, this role with like a lot of interest in partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think it's fair to say that's not something, you know, churches that date back 200 years. And at one point, this would have been the, the most massive church in, in the city of Canton. I think that there were mm. 15, 1700, maybe more uh, people who are a part of this. I don't know if it's helpful context, but like the church was German reformed way back when it started. 
yeah. went through a couple different iterations of, okay. you know, like any kind of other ethnic, like German speaking church would have been like, okay, how long are we going to wait until we start speaking English, holding services okay. in English okay. and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Went through a couple different transitions in terms of denominational mergers that occurred. And then in 2005, they decided to be independent. So it's, you okay. know, it's over 15 years now that they've sort of existed in outside of a denominational framework, um, which any of us would know then, like that creates a different reality that you kind of just exist on your own in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so um, we walked in with the saying like, okay, it's really going to be incumbent upon us to build strong partnerships yeah. with other local churches. Canton is not... A, uh, it's not an overstatement to say it is not a thriving city. <laughs> so mm-hmm. at its height, okay. Canton would have been a city of around 150,000 people, and it's less than half of that today. Wow. And so anybody wow. that would have any experience with uh, the generational iterative cycles of cities would know, hey, when you have an infrastructure for 150,000 people and half of that population moves away, um, that brings a lot of shifts and changes into yep. the life of a city, especially in its downtown where right. we're located as a church. Okay. So I would say, like, we spent a lot of time developing relationships and strong partnerships with other churches, something that occurred just before we stepped in as co-lead pastors is that our church made the decision to partner with another church called River Tree, which interestingly is the first church where I ever served after college, where they donated our building, our massive downtown building to River Tree in order to help found what's now called the One Center for Leadership. And huh. so our building now, I wish I would know how many square feet it is, but it's a lot, is now a co-working space and meeting space and event space uh, for, I think there's over two dozen entities uh, that either office here or are regularly in and out of the building, mm. holding meetings and doing events and things like that. And so um, that's one of the primary expressions, I would say, that like yeah. of our church helping to found this one center for leadership. There was also, we donated some land um, so that Refuge of Hope, which is our local men's shelter and um, homeless meal ministry, is directly adjacent to our building, and they built a new facility over there. That's been really significant. Um, yeah, and then Abby, uh, sorry, Amy can talk a little bit about another initiative we've sort of begun. Yeah, we, um, you know, I think a really great thing that we didn't realize at the beginning was that we had already been residents of Canton for several years before we came into this. And so we already had some feel of the lay of the land uh, in terms of the community we were in and the cultural context. Uh, And then both of us having background in um, kind of trans-local ministries that would be about bringing people together for different kinds of mission and ministry opportunities is we just we just want to connect with people and mm. we want to bring people together. And so one of the expressions of that was um, co-founding the Canton Abbey. Um, was an entity that we uh, created to allow for um, more collaborative ministry. You know, every, every, anywhere you go, there are silos, right? They just mm-hmm. they grow up o- over time. Um, but as a way to potentially bring churches together, um, what that looked like initially was last Easter. You know, we were all in the midst of early pandemic going well, no one knows what they're doing. Let's do it together, right? Let's come together. (laughs) And we did something called Easter in the Streets and invited churches to, uh, we mapped out a parade route 
around the four quadrants of our city where we kind of prayed and praised through that area hmm. um, as a number of churches together and then just have created the, the Canton Abbey as a way of being collaborative space for um, the faith community to address some of the issues that might arise um, here. And so that's something that's evolving, but um, something that we're passionate about, you know, finding neutral spaces um, for people to come together um, and address, you know, the cultural context that we're in and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you guys sharing some of that stuff. I, I know um, y'all are friends, and so we, we chat about some of these things. Um, and so I just wanted to hear you guys, uh, let you guys kind of talk about it, a little bit about what you uh, what you all do, uh, besides, you know, lead a church. Um, and so it's all part of the work there. I think it's really right. great. So. Yeah. yeah, that that whole concept, I would say, has be like the Abbey concept. I know that uh, this is like language and a model that's being Im employed in more and more spaces. The particular manifestation, Amy already talked about it a little bit, but we don't envision an Abbey here as a physical space. We envision it as this truly ne a network of relationships amongst mm -hmm churches and nonprofits and civic leaders and businesses who say we kind of want to be about the good of our city. There's mm -hmm. just not a lot that's fomenting like yeah. that kind of work together. And so it's, yes. we set it up in a way that it's meant to be a community development corporation, not an extension or an arm of our church, but a truly independent thing. So no one has to feel like it's a territorial uh, sort yeah. of thing. And I think that is why, like, so Easter in the Streets that Amy mentioned wound up being a parade of 100 cars representing mm. 30 different faith communities. Wow. And wow. that's not the sort of thing that, like, Canton's really been known for in yeah, the yeah. past. Um, so anyways, I would say, like, that's, there's an emerging vision for our church that we, what if people ask us what we want to see, what we mm -hmm. want to say is we want to see the whole body of Christ around us uh, creating spiritual and cultural renewal throughout our city. Hmm. So our, our vision isn't related to our church. Uh, we, we have a mission that relates to our church, and we want to right. ask the question, right. what role does Canton's very first church have to play mm -hmm. in seeing that vision come to pass? But the, mainly the questions that we're asking are, how can we keep doing this kind of work that elevates and advances yeah. the whole body of Christ? Yeah. Well, I see it then as an, as an extension of what C4SO is doing there as, as well, right? And so it's, you're, you're taking that vision where it's like, hey, C4SO doesn't need to just grow C4SO. We can send people out to do kingdom mission that doesn't necessarily have you know that kind of thing that that just yeah. grows our organization. Right. Um, and you guys are doing the same thing, kind of leading your church uh, through that as well, where it's like mm. the goal isn't just to grow the church. The goal is to mobilize uh, the whole community, um, you know, into the kingdom of God. So yeah. brilliant. Lovely. Well, we did use the word foment twice in this episode. So that means Dang. it's time to, it's time to, it's time to go. Um, <laughs> we have to, we have to, we have to leave after we use the word foment twice. I'm just kidding. Ben, I just invented that Ben has that this rule. game he plays with Matt. Matt says, I'll give you 20 bucks if you use a certain word during the podcast. So today's word was foment. Foment, yeah. He got it twice, wow. so no, Matt actually, owes him 40 bucks. Yeah, wow. 40 bucks. No, uh, I blame you, uh, Bishop Todd, for foment. You, you use that yeah. word a lot, so yeah, that's <laughs> made its way into our- It is uh, one of my favorite words. I just yeah. see things unfolding. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good word. Uh, Bishop Todd, any final words, anything you want to say here before we close? 
Well, just to say that I think in the story we've heard from Amy and Jr., you you hear that sort of kingdom work that we were anticipating when we made them priests, and mm-hmm. um, or Amy on her way. But another factor that was always underwriting this that both Jr. and I both forgot to say is that a lot of our listeners will know that Jr. is the executive director of the Telos Collective, which is you know the entity that puts on the intersection conference. And so that I think was the way JR and I got to know each other was through him being the director of Missio Alliance. Maybe it was mm-hmm. another way, but I think it was that way. And so I knew that JR had that experience and we always knew that he could have some role. We didn't know, I don't think JR, correct me if I'm wrong in the beginning that he'd become the executive director, but I always knew that JR uh, had gone miles ahead in this activity of, you know, trying to um, help churches take on a new set of vision and value, a new yeah. vision, a new set of values. And so in the back of my mind, that was always, that yeah. alone would have been enough to make him a priest or almost like a canon or something who was yeah. in charge of this thing that I started mm-hmm. to be a blessing to ACNA to, to just like renew churches in, you know, yeah. our big ideas of, the gospel, the kingdom, culture, missional ecclesiology, missional leadership, the person, work of the spirit, spiritual formation, just trying to knead those yeah. values into any ACNA or any non-ACNA church that wanted them. And so JR's, um, a part of his priesthood has been, um, and, and when he was a deacon working behind the scenes, helping me build out the Telus Collective. Yeah. Fomenting, if you will. But yes. The yeah? 60 bucks. <laughs> uh, man, I hope, I hope Matt's doing okay here. <laughs> so funny. Uh, that's funny. All right. Uh, JR and Amy, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks so much. Love you guys. Proud of what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. And, um, and I think we also really just wanted to say, I've had a sense for a while, actually, that there may be, um, friends who are in the orbit of a podcast like this, who I'm, we're praying that there are folks who may want to come join us. Mm-hmm. Like who may hear about the kind of work that we're trying okay. to do at the church and through the Abbey in a social location Great. like Canton. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder if the Holy Spirit, you know, is at work already amongst people who we don't already know, mm-hmm. who would hear this and yeah. say, boy, I've, I long to be a part of this kind of work. It's not sexy by any stretch of the imagination, and <laughs> yeah. we're figuring out as long as we figuring it all out as we go along and that sort of thing. Um, but I think Amy and I have both had a sense uh, that God has people um, that He's already stirring up something inside of them um, yeah. that they kind of want to be a part of this work, and uh, so we're praying. Um, okay. Yeah. How can people uh, find you guys if they want to reach out and ask you some questions about that, or even about the Abbey, or maybe find out more information? Yeah, well, uh, we're both on Facebook. Uh, the URL for the church is firstchurchcanton.com. Okay. Uh, and then there's uh, also can- cantonabbey.org. Uh, okay. Uh, so any of those places. Great. Um, and then, like Bishop Todd said, I'm also the executive director for the Telos Collective, so you could hit up um, telosscollective.com and okay. find me over there. Very yeah, good. Yeah, we, we really appreciate uh, the chance to share today and just, you know, uh, if you're listening and can offer just up a prayer that God would bring along co-laborers and people that would share this vision and um, carry carry this burden with us, that's oh, yeah. uh, definitely something that's on our hearts. And uh, yeah, we'd love that. 
Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again for being here. And we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes if you are interested in reaching out um, to have a conversation about any of that stuff. Um, don't forget our Eastertide conversation series about next-gen ministry, as well as the monthly gathering for family and children's ministers. Again, links to those things in the show notes. We'll see you all next time. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Bye. Todd. Thanks Bye-bye. for having us. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.